Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Uh, we've been, the last several weeks, we've been just going through, sort of you might say indiscriminately, the if conditional statements in the New Testament. We started with Matthew 1 1 and just been going right through in the order of the books of the New Testament, just looking at the if conditional statements. So uh, please don't blame me if we keep talking about a particular doctrine or subject. We can't help that. We're just going through the Bible and whatever it leads us to say, that's what we do. For example, this one here, the next one on our list, Hebrews 10, 26 through 29, is another passage that clearly teaches once saved, always saved is false. It, it conclusively does that. It proves it for 100% sure. Here's how it reads, Hebrews 10, 26 through 29. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Notice here's our if conditional statement. He's talking to Christians here. He just exhorted them. They ought not to forsake the assembling of themselves together. In other words, don't miss church, verse 25. Then he says in verse 26, here's the if statement. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Does that sound like the person who happens to be a Christian, who ought to be attending church, is still going to be saved if he sins willfully? Well, no. There's remains no more sacrifice for sin. Instead, verse 27 lets us know his final destination. It says, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversary. So this Christian who sins willfully, where's he going to end up? Judgment and fiery indignation. We know exactly where that is. There's only one place you receive judgment fiery indignation from God, and that's the bad place, H-E-L-L. And this is talking about a Christian who forsakes the church assemblies, misses church assemblies, or whatever willful sin he may commit. It could be any willful sin. He's going to be lost according to this. Now, we know for sure this is talking about a Christian and a Christian being lost because, remember, we read verse 29. It talks about this person. He says he's trotting underfoot the Son of God and he's counting the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite him to the spirit of grace. So we know that this is talking about a Christian because it says he was sanctified by the blood. He was sanctified by the blood, but now he's counting the blood wherewith he was sanctified, according to verse 29, an unholy thing. He's trotting underfoot the Son of God. In our vernacular, we say, it's a spitting in the face of Jesus. He's disrespecting Jesus. He was sanctified by the blood, that could only be talking about a Christian. Now he's disrespecting Jesus. He's spitting in the face of Jesus. He's taking, he's counting that blood that he was sanctified by, that, that saved him, that obtained his forgiveness. He counts it an unholy thing, and he's trotting underfoot the Son of God. Where is he going to end up, according to verse 27? This Christian, he was sanctified by the blood, but now he's disrespecting Jesus. Where is he going to end up? Judgment and fiery indignation. That's why I say this verse proves conclusively that once saved, always saved is false. And if you think you got a passage that teaches once saved, always saved, then we'd have a contradiction in the Bible because this 
is teaching once saved, always saved is false. There's no way around it. Of course, there are no passages in the Bible that teach once saved, always saved is true. That's all just wishful thinking. People want that to be true. They want once saved, always saved to be true because that means they can live any old way they want to. You know, divorce and remarry, uh, all kinds of things. Cheat, cheat, like I say, cheat on their wife, uh, lie, steal, cuss, drink, smoke, all, all these vices. They can do all that, do whatever they want to do and still be saved. They want that to be true, so they believe it, even though the Bible clearly teaches against it. And that verse proves it conclusively. If you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give us a call. You can get right on the air. The lines are wide open. 877-655-6755. The number to call if you want to get on the air, ask your Bible question or make your Bible comment. 877-655-6755. The next if conditional statement that I come to in the Bible is Hebrews 12 or 7. It says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So what the point of the context of Hebrews 12 is, if you're a Christian, God might chasten you. You're his son. You should expect that. Like I have three sons and a daughter. And when they were children and they acted up, Carol and I chastened them. We spanked them, for example. We were trying to correct bad behavior. We didn't do it because we didn't love them. We did it because we loved them. You chasten someone to try to correct bad behavior because you love them. And that's what this is saying. God will chasten his children because he loves them. Just like a father will physically chasten his children, God will chasten his children, his spiritual children, because he wants to correct bad behavior. If you have a Bible question, comment. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Now, James 1, 5 is the next if conditional statement. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Now, that's something that I try to pray for quite regularly because I need wisdom. Wisdom is a very valuable thing to have. It's, <laughs> it's almost more important than anything you could have in this life. The, you know, knowledge is you understand the facts and the knowledge and wisdom is somebody said is how to apply that knowledge. We need wisdom. We get wisdom through study the word of God. We can get it through experience. And it says if we lack wisdom, we should ask God for wisdom and he'll grant it to us. So why shouldn't we ask God for wisdom? I mean, when God asked Solomon what he wanted, Solomon said, give me wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. Perhaps one of the wisest men in the history of the earth at least for a time, because he asked for wisdom and God gave it to him. So we should ask for wisdom, especially like, for example, when we're studying the Bible. Let's say we have a prayer right before we study the Bible. Ask for wisdom in trying to understand God's word, because that's the truth and we want to follow the truth. And then we come to James 2, verse 9, the next if conditional statement as we go through the New Testament. It says, but if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. The, the, the respect of persons there is just the King James way of saying, you're being partial. You're showing favoritism toward people. You have respect of persons. Like sometimes, especially in the past, we had whites who were prejudiced against blacks. And it, the, the thing worked vice versa. Sometimes the other way around. Some blacks were prejudiced against whites. But we have that kind of prejudice. 
a lot of times rich people are prejudiced against poor people. Sometimes, maybe it's not quite as often, but sometimes even poor people are prejudiced against rich. God's saying, you can't be prejudiced. You can't show favoritism. You can't have respect of persons. Hebrews 10, 34 and 35, you know, God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is going to be accepted by him. So God doesn't judge people by the, their skin color or how much money they have or, or anything like that. Uh, he, the only thing he judges us by is whether or not we fear him and keep his commandments. And we have to do the same thing. James 2, 9 is saying, if you have respect to persons, if you show prejudice against people, and in this context, it was showing prejudice against poor people, showing favoritism of the rich people. If you do that, you commit sin. It's a sin to judge people based upon anything that the Bible doesn't tell us is a matter of right and wrong. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. And then the next if conditional statement we have, James 2, 15 through 17, says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, what we're, this, this is an illustration. Now, it states the truth in the illustration, but he's illustrating. What is he trying to illustrate? Well, in verse 14, the question is basically raised. Can faith without works save? And the answer is given in verse 17, for example. No, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being low, alone. Faith without works can, cannot save. And he uses this to illustrate. He says, look, if somebody were to come to your house, for example, and they needed food or clothing, and you just said, be you warmed and filled, <laughs> but you didn't help them, that's not going to do them any good, is it? And he's saying, just like that doesn't do that person any good, faith without works doesn't do anybody any good. It won't save. Now, this is just being used as an illustration here to make the point that faith without works won't save. But we can learn from this illustration. From this if conditional statement, we need to be willing to help folks less fortunate than we are. We do. If somebody is hungry or needs clothing, we need to be willing to help them. We're not talking about people won't work. They won't work. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse 10 says, if any man won't work, neither should he eat. We're not talking about that. But what if through no fault of their own, somebody comes into dire straits and needs help? Share with them. That's what our duty is. And then the next if conditional statement in the New Testament, James 4.15 says, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. This particular section of the scripture is saying, is basically teaching us not to be overconfident. Don't just be able to say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that in the future. You don't know. You might be dead. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And it's not just that we ought to think it. We definitely should think, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or that. But it actually says we ought to say it. So we ought to say that as a reminder to ourselves and to everybody else because the Lord told us to say it. Instead of saying, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, as if you know what your future is going to be. I'm talking about something in the future. You say, if the Lord will, I'm going to do that, this or that. Because that's true. You're only going to do it if the Lord is willing. If he's not willing for you to do it, you're not going to accomplish it. 
And to uh, to leave off the part about if the Lord will, you're just expressing overconfidence and you're not doing what this passage exhorts us to do. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. We're just going through the New Testament, looking at all the if conditional statements. Well, the next one, it's going to do for us what we read the first one tonight, Hebrews 10. It's going to teach again that conclusively that once saved, always saved is false. James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, the New King James say, says, Brethren, if any of you do wonder from the truth, you have a child. He's at the house. Well, we usually don't leave a small child at the house by himself. Why? He may wander off and hurt himself. But, but, but what does it mean we say a child wanders from the house? Well, he was at the house and he left the house. In verse 19, it says, here's a brother that wanders from the truth. That means he was in the truth and he left the truth. So we know for sure he's called a brother. He wanders from the truth, which means he was in the truth. This is talking about a Christian, a person who's become a Christian. And it's saying, suppose then that he wanders or leaves the truth. He errs from the truth. The exhortation here, the command here is to the rest of us. What are we to try to do? Try to convert him back. We'll try to convert back the sinner from the error of his way. And if we can do that, we're going to save his soul from death. You see, he's a Christian, but now that he's gobbling off of the sin, he's called a sinner. And our job is to try to convert him back. If we're able to convert him back, we save his soul from death. And his sins are covered. It says he shall hide a multitude of sins. But the implication is if we're not able to convert him back, let's say he refuses to be converted back, then his soul's going to die and his sins won't be covered. He's going to be lost. Clearly a Christian, a brother in Christ, it says a brethren, he errs from the truth, he wanders from the truth, so he was in the truth, but then he erred from the truth. We're to try to convert him back. If he's not converted back, he's going to be lost. Again, another passage that conclusively proves once saved, always saved. The Bible teaches that over perhaps every page of the Bible has at least one verse in it that teaches against once saved, always saved. And there's not a single verse in the Bible that teaches once saved, always saved. It's all just wishful thinking. Now, let's go to 1 Peter 3, verse 14, which is the next if conditional statement in my list. 1 Peter 3, 14 reads, But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now, what's that verse talking about? Look, it's just saying, if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, for doing the Lord's will, you should actually be happy about that. Don't be afraid of their terror. Well, why? Well, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, if that happens to you, if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, you'd be happy because great is your reward in heaven. That's the last Beatitude. Three verses there in Matthew 5. So, don't think that they can do anything permanent to you. If you're persecuted for righteousness sake, even if they kill you, you're going to heaven. So be happy. Be glad. Don't be scared of them. First Peter 4 verse 14 says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. There's another if conditional statement, and it's talking about the same thing. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. So don't become too discouraged if you're being persecuted. For righteousness sake, you should be happy about it. 
is what this text is saying. I know that's hard to be happy about when somebody's persecuting you. That's what the text enjoins us to do. And then on the same same idea, the next if a conditional statement, 1 Peter 4.16 says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So if we're really living the faithful Christian life and contending for the faith as we ought to, trying to teach everybody we can think about, come in contact with, of course we're going to end up suffering as a Christian. You know, if we're not doing anything, if we're not out there trying to teach the gospel, not offending anybody, we'll probably never suffer any persecution. You're only going to suffer this kind of suffer as a Christian if you're out contending for the faith. And then 1 Peter 4 verse 11 is the next verse on the list, the next if conditional statement. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Now, this is not talking about using some sort of set formula of terminology. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. God wrote the Bible in Hebrew and Greek. He's not expecting us to limit ourselves to the Hebrew and the Greek words. No, if we're preaching to somebody that only knows English, we don't need to be preaching to him in Greek. We need to preach to him in English so he can understand. So you pick the words out that the person you're talking to will best understand. And that can be different for different people. You know, a person that grows up in the on the rich side of town may not understand the exact same terminology that a person that grows up in the ghetto understands. So you pick the words to try to express the truth that the people you're trying to teach will understand the best. First Peter 4 verse 11 is not trying to restrict our terminology. It's saying if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, you teach the truth. You teach the truth. You use your own words, your own terminology, whatever the person's going to understand the best. But when you preach the truth, you prove what you say by the Bible. You quote Bible verses to prove what you say. And then you teach them in your own words the best, in words that they will understand the best. That's, that's the way we ought to do it. The Great Commission, go and preach the gospel. Every creature, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 15 and 16. We should try to preach the gospel to every creature, and there's going to be different kinds of people. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to talk to them in ways that they can understand. But in every case, we're going to preach the truth. We're going to preach as the oracles of God. We're going to prove what we're saying with book, chapter, and verse. If you have a Bible question or comment, you can give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. We're just going through the New Testament looking at these if conditional statements just in the order they appear in the New Testament. The next one is 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. It says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. These are sometimes called the Christian virtues. I kind of like that name, the Christian virtues. Now notice verse 8. It says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, if these things be in you, in other words, if you add these Christian graces that are listed in verses five to seven, then you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If 
you put these Christian graces into practice in your life, then you'll be a profitable servant of the Lord. And then 2 Peter 1.10 is the next verse on my list. It says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. Ha! Well, I guess we just found another passage that teaches against one saved, always saved. It says, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. What's the implication? We all know what the implication is. We can try to get around it, but the implication is that if you don't do these things, you will fall. You will fall away from God. You will lose your salvation if you don't do these things. I mean, that's the clear implication of the passage. We need to add these Christian graces. And if we do put these things into practice in our life, that's how we make our calling and election sure. We will never fall if we do that. But if we don't do that, if we don't do those things, we will fall. That's the implication of the if statement. Micah from Arizona, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, can you hear me? Micah, you're on the air, buddy. All right. Um, my question you may need is, to turn your radio I, down. That could be what's confusing you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I'm here. You're just fine. Go Give ahead, me just Micah. just one moment. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I'm here. you fine. Okay. All right. Maybe this, maybe this works better now. In First John, uh, chapter one, and verse eight, where he says, "If we say we have no sin," of course, I, you know, I believe that 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 once we accept Christ as our Savior and we become sons of God, that we're not going to lose our salvation. But I'm willing to listen to uh, statements that against it because I want to know what sin allows me to lose my salvation. Okay, that's a good question, Micah. Are you able to listen to the program even if you hang up? Uh, yes. Okay, good, Micah. That's a good question. What sins would cause a person to lose their sal salvation? Well, the next verse, passage that I was going to look at, the next, next if statement will help us to see what? 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, reads this way. For if, there's our if statement, if after they have escaped the pollutions or the, or the sins of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So Micah wants to know, well, what sin would cause you to lose your salvation? Here, this makes it clear. You've escaped the sins of the world, or the newer translations will say the corruptions of the world through Christ, and then you're entangled back in. In other words, you're entangled back into the sins of the world. It says the latter end is worse than the beginning. In other words, you're worse off if you do that than if you'd never become a Christian to begin with. And of course, a person that's never become a Christian to begin with is lost. And so if a person is saved, he's escaped the sins of the world through the knowledge of Christ, but then he's, he's entangled back into the sins of the world and overcome, he's worse off than if he'd never become a Christian to begin with. That, of course, means he's lost. So he's clearly saved. He's escaped the sins of the world through Christ. That has to be talking about a Christian. But then he's entangled back into the world. He goes back and starts living the worldly lifestyle again. This says he's worse off 
than in the beginning. Worse than if you'd never become a Christian to begin with. He's lost. So clearly, and it's conclusive, it's 100% sure. There's not going to be a verse in the Bible that contradicts that. This clearly teaches that once saved, always saved is false. Here's a person that became a Christian, but then he went back to the living the ways of the world, which he gave up when he became a Christian, but he went back into that. He became entangled again. He's overcome. He's worse off than if he'd never become a Christian to begin with. He's going to be lost. And the illustration at the end, which I find kind of humorous, it's, it's like a pig that was that was washed who were wallowing in the mire. The, the pig being washed represents that sinner, the sin being washed off of that sinner. And then going back to the mire, he's entangled back into the sins of the world. He's going to be lost. Look, if you want to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience. Call or text me. 256-682-9753.